It's good to be with you this morning. What a beautiful day God has given us. I am praising him for that. Um, my brother is here, and he was officially ordained last night as an elder in the Methodist church. He pastors a church in Janet and Hutton. He didn't know I was going to do this, but I am so grateful for the process that God has taken my brother through. He never stops working. Amen? So today is Gratitude Sunday. Uh, why Gratitude Sunday? Well, we often talk about how here at Abundant Life, we exist to express our gratitude to Christ for what he has done for us. And since that is true of our church, we thought, you know what, it would be really good to have a Sunday each year where we really emphasize that truth. Now, every Sunday, we want to express our gratitude to Christ, but especially this Sunday. There goes the expensive camera. That's all right. Um, so that's why we're doing Gratitude Sunday. So... Even the secular world has linked the importance of gratitude in making us happy. So there are a lot of studies that exist that talk about how gratitude leads to happiness. Um, there was an article on Time Magazine's online, uh, you know, their website, and it was based on a whole bunch of studies that were done. And what these studies found is that gratitude makes us more patient and helps us to make sensible decisions. Um, another thing that they discovered is that, and I don't think this is any surprise to us, that feeling grateful toward your partner and vice versa can improve numerous aspects of your relationship, including feelings of connectedness and overall satisfaction of a couple. Uh, as a couple. Uh, the studies found that gratitude improves self-care. It helps us sleep better. It stops us from overeating. Gratitude does. I, think, I thought this was interesting. Check this out. A cognitive scientist um, found that gratitude replenishes our willpower. Interesting. Um, gratitude can help us when we are depressed. It can help relieve some of that. And I thought this was extremely interesting is that gratitude gives you happiness that lasts. Lots of things. And this is what um, this researcher who researches happiness at Stanford University, she says this, that there are a lot of things like a sugary treat that lead to this happiness, but it, you know, it's just little bursts because it fades away. But gratitude leads to happiness that, that lasts because it is not, she says, immediate gratification, but it's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. So I want to talk to you about why, you know, even if secular people are recognizing the link between gratitude and happiness, I'm here to tell you that uh, the Bible has made that link for hundreds of years. And I believe that the Christian worldview gives us the best resources in terms of living a lifestyle of gratitude. And I want to talk to you about that. Because here's the thing. Um, your, the degree of gratitude in your heart is equal to the degree of happiness you're having. The, and so if our gratitude increases, our happiness 
is going to increase. And the inverse is true as well. If our gratitude decreases, the happiness that we experience in our life will also decrease. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians 1 because Ephesians 1 contains the Apostle Paul explaining why he was living with an attitude of gratitude. And I think if we can, if we can get on board with what Paul is preaching in Ephesians 1, our gratitude will increase and then so will our happiness. Also, this, the theme for our church this year, if you may recall, is let there be light, a year of clarity, a year of hope, a year of growth. And Ephesians 1 is the passage that we're using as like the theme passage for this year. So I thought it would be good just to walk you through it. So let me do that. Let me just pray real quick and I'll start walking you through Ephesians chapter 1. Lord, thank you that you are in our midst. Thank you that you are an unstoppable God, that you're unchanging, that you are always at work for our behalf. Lord, I pray that as we consider the, the many wonderful things that you have done, are doing, and will do, that our hearts would overflow with gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... Let me uh, start here in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Uh, this, these verses say a lot about what Paul was grateful for, but here's one thing that I want to point out from these verses is that God created the world. And, and I think it's easy for us to take for granted how beautiful and wonderful creation is, right? Like even this breeze feels amazing right now. Um, this weather we've been having is fantastic. Think of the moon, the stars, the sun. Think about the mountains, the rivers, the valleys, the streams, the oceans, all a gift from God to us. Paul goes on to say, before he even created this wonderful world for us, he set his eyes on us. He was thinking about us. He was loving us before he even created the world. Before we could even do anything to endear ourselves to God. He was already loving us. What's more, he knew every single mistake that we would make, and yet God knew it, and he decided to love us before we ever even made those mistakes. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, I'm grateful for this. Now, how did God choose to love Paul in the Ephesian believers that Paul was writing to? Well, Paul says that he chose before he made the world to make them holy and without fault in his eyes. What a remarkable thought that before God created the world, his plan was to make those who would believe in him holy and faultless in his eyes, meaning he would remove all their guilt from them, extend forgiveness to them, remove their shame 
from them, that condemnation that we feel, he decided before he created the world that he would remove it. Now, how would God do this? Well, Paul says, through Jesus Christ, that's how God removed the shame and the guilt and made us faultless in his eyes. Ephesians 1.7 says exactly how he did this. He is so rich in kindness and grace, talking about God, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. The many sins of the Ephesian believers and Paul, what they earned was really the wrath of God. His judgment against their wrongdoing is what they earned. And let's not forget that the Apostle Paul, the one who's writing this passage, he worked to arrest God's people so that they could be killed. This is the Paul who's writing this passage. What a rap sheet Paul had. Now, God is good, and so he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Um, And what Paul and the Ephesian believers deserved was to be cast away from God forever, not brought near to God forever. What they deserved was rejection, not adoption into God's family. And that's where Paul points out it's due to God's richness and his kindness that he sent his son to take on the rejection and the punishment that Paul and the Ephesian believers deserved so that they, their, their rap sheet could be wiped clean. Paul goes on in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mystery, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. In the world that we live in, we know this very well. There are evil forces that oppose God, that war against him, that have caused tremendous, immense grief and suffering in our world. And evil often appears to have its way. But Paul here, he's celebrating that at the right time, God is going to reconcile the entire world to himself. Meaning, once again, everything, everywhere will will be submitted to Christ's authority and operate as it was always intended to operate. There will be no more pain and suffering. There will be no more war. There will be no pandemics and viruses. There will be no more racial injustice. Everything and everyone joyfully submitted to the lordship of Christ, Paul celebrates that this will come to pass. Ephesians 1.11 says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. In this verse, Paul is rejoicing that this promised future that God is going to bring about He's going to be a part of, and so will the Ephesian believers. That's their inheritance that God is giving them, this new world that is to come. And Paul is also, he knows because God is faithful and he is unstoppable that you can take it to the bank. This new world is on its way. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14 goes on to say, 
God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Paul, he's taken pleasure in the fact that God desires to save all people, irregardless of race. That's what we've been talking about at our church these last uh, several weeks. He also says that... Salvation in Christ is open to anybody who believes. And remember that biblical belief is not just mere mental assent. It is a heart-level commitment to Christ as Lord and Savior. So anybody who is willing to commit with their heart to Jesus as their King, as their Savior will experience being adopted into God's family. They will experience this new world that God is going to bring. Paul also delights in the fact that when a person believes in Christ, they are given this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to fill them and to assure them that they truly are a son or a daughter of the king. Paul's grateful for the Holy Spirit. Now, why did God do all this? Well, verse 5 tells us because it gave God great pleasure. If God slept, which he doesn't, he doesn't grow tired or weary, but if he did, he would, the reason he would get up is because he delights in saving broken people, redeeming broken people, making broken people whole. If he slept, that's what would get him up in the morning. And he's always doing that. He's always working for that end. It's his great pleasure to do so. Nothing brings him more joy than seeing people restored and whole. Another reason Paul gave in verse 14 why God has showered on such loving kindness to Paul and to the Ephesian believers is because he wants them to praise and glorify God. Now, what's interesting is that God is not a glory monger. He's not insecure, walking around needing people to affirm him all the time. Did you know that God is most glorified when you are most satisfied? God is most glorified by you when you are most satisfied in him. God is such a gracious, loving God that he links his glory to our satisfaction. So when he's saying, look, I did this so that you will praise and glorify me, what he's saying is, look, I did this so that you would be so satisfied in me that, you would, that your heart would overflow with praises for me. Amazing. Now check this out. Ephesians 1, 16 and 7, after Paul just out, outlines and details why he's grateful to Christ, this is his prayer for the Ephesian believers then. 
after covering what we just covered. He says in verse 16 and 17, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul desired for the Ephesians to know this gracious, loving, just, glorious, most beautiful God more deeply, more intimately, because that is where true life is found. That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers. He goes on. Here's another prayer. So this is the second thing he prayed for. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul is praying that he and the Ephesians would come to understand more fully and deeply the new world that is to come. Life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Jesus on the resurrected earth. He wanted the Ephesian believers to meditate on that, to think about it, to look forward to it, to get excited about it, to eagerly anticipate it, Paul was praying for that. Here's the third thing he prayed for the Ephesian believers in verses 19 through 21. He prayed that the Ephesians would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same. This is crazy. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so Paul, he's saying, like, look, I want you to know now the incredible power of God in your life. I'm praying that you would know it. The same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want you to experience that in the here and now. I want you to experience resurrection in your life. I want you to experience the things of God being newly formed in you by the power of his mighty spirit that is mighty to save and resurrect. That's what Paul was praying for. For the Ephesian believers, the same power that will, in time, submit everything to Christ's authority. You can experience that now, and Paul wants his people to experience it. So, the secret, here's the secret to Paul's life. Because Paul experienced hardship that probably all of us won't experience. I mean, the, he, was, he experienced such Hardship. Actually, he was murdered and killed for his faith in Christ. We're not going to experience the hardship that Paul experienced, most likely. Now, what was his secret? Why could he say that he was content in all circumstances of life? Why, as you know, he was writing this from house arrest in Rome? The dude was locked up when he's writing this to the Ephesian believers. Does he seem depressed? Does he seem down? Does he seem defeated? Does he seem overcome? Not at all. Why? Here's the answer. And this is the secret we have to hold on to and grab a hold of. And it is this. 
Paul saw all of life as a gift from God. All of life. If you walk through life and you feel entitled to the things you have, as if God owes you, that is a recipe. That's the secret sauce of unhappiness. But the secret sauce of a happy, joy-filled life that is deep is that you view everything as a gift from God. You don't deserve any of it. What you deserve is God's wrath. What you deserve is hell, eternal separation from him forever. But because out of his glorious grace, he allows the sun to shine on us at this moment. He allows you to breathe the breath you're breathing right now. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve this next breath. We don't deserve to have this apple juice and whatever else goodies we've got. When we drink our nice cup of coffee, we don't deserve it, but we enjoy it because of God's goodness and his grace. That is the secret, because when you see all of life as a gift from God, your gratitude quotient increases, and directly correlated and connected to that is your joy and your happiness. And so I encourage you, I encourage you, and I love how this guy, Alexander McLaren, puts it. Because look, gratitude has to be cultivated. Some of us are more naturally good at it. Some of us are not so good at it. But is there anything more attractive than a grateful person? There's nothing more attractive than a grateful person. There's nothing more unattractive than an ungrateful, pessimistic, woe-is-me, Eeyore type of person. They will suck the life out of you. They exhaust you. So we have to, by the Holy Spirit's help, cultivate gratitude. And Alexander McLaren says this. He, he says that happy people cultivate, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, a buoyant, joyous sense of the crowded kindness of God in their daily life. Did you know today is crowded with God's kindness? Will you choose to focus on that today? Or will you live as an entitled God owes me person, ungrateful person today? That's your choice. God won't force you to be grateful. So we're going to help you with having an attitude of gratitude today and cultivating that. You received a leaf. And we want you to write on this leaf one thing that you are extremely grateful to God for. Maybe it's over this past year. Maybe it's over this past month. Maybe it's over the last couple of weeks. Maybe it's a person. I have found that God seems to bring the right people into my life at just the right time when I need them most. So thankful. I could list probably about 10 people on here right now. Maybe it's some kind of provision. Maybe it's some kind of suffering that you were going, you've been going through, that, but yet God has been leveraging it for good. Write what you're grateful for on this leaf. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we have so much to be grateful for. 
And it's all because of your loving kindness. That loving kindness that before even the creation of the world, you set your eyes on us. You decided to love us despite all of our failings that you, you foreknew, you still set your heart on us. Thank you for coming and dying so that we could experience salvation, that we could experience redemption and wholeness in you. Thank you for your mighty spirit and the gift of it that transforms us and resurrects us. Lord, may we be people that are life-giving people, that walk into a room with an attitude of gratitude and give life to everybody we meet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.